everyone, this is Mike Lindstedt, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we're back on our podcast series entitled The Life in Christ, where we're walking through the book of Philippians, and me and Pastor Chad are extremely excited today to get into our text because it is such a climactic, beautiful text, uh, and one that has a verse in it that so many people have heard, Mm -hmm. and it's verse 21. It says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so that is the famous verse from this section that we're going to be walking through in chapter 1, verses 12 through 26 today in the book of Philippians. And uh, man, Chad, there's not much more that I want to say other than (laughs) I'm super excited to get into this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's the motivation of of why we do what we do is is highly important, and it, as we're going to talk about today, it's always attached to what we believe, what we desire. As we say all the time around here in, in the counseling room or just among ourselves, what you believe is what you do. Mm-hmm. You always do what you want to do, and when and so when people tell me I struggle to read the word or I struggle to pray or I struggle to that to go to church, the answer is always it's because you don't want God. Mm. I mean, it's always the 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 answer and that's always the battle for all of us our mm-hmm. flesh does not want god so that is always true we have to die to ourselves and we have to have that same mentality that paul has mm-hmm. that to live as christ to die is getting christ is everything yes and that's why he's motivated in the way that he's motivated so yes um so hopefully we can uh lay that out yeah today. yeah and this section here it can basically be summed up that Christ is our life, yeah. right? Christ is our life. And today's podcast is entitled The Motivation of the Life in Christ. And so hopefully, like Chad said, we'll be able to convey that clearly to you. But Chad, why don't we start reading our text today, shall we? Mm-hmm. I'll go verses uh, 12 through 20, and then you finish us off with 21 through 26. All right. Okay. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my chains in Christ have become well-known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my chains, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, while the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me affliction in my chains. Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all 
for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Wow, so clearly the, the primary theme of this section is really the singleness of purpose or the singleness of mind that the, the Apostle Paul is modeling for his people, yeah. right? For me to live is Christ, he says. Right. If I'm going to live, that means fruitful labor for me. So clearly Paul, when he wakes up in the morning, he's got one goal, yeah, <laughs> right? That's it. That's Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's what he wants, right? That's what he wants to model, mm. and that's what he wants to, that's who he wants to glorify. Yeah. And you see this in his perspective. Mm -hmm. He starts this section in his perspective. His perspective about what? Well, about his own circumstances, yeah. right? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Like, wow, that's it. He's in prison, you know, wrongfully put in prison just for preaching the gospel. But he's not sitting there as a victim or right. a woe is me or can you believe this? He's saying, hey, guess what? It's it's serving to advance the gospel. Yeah. Good news. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, if you were around Paul and you didn't know Jesus, you were going to get to know Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> He was and, going to evangelize you. And if you didn't want to know Jesus or you were not like enthusiastic about Bible study, he would get on your nerves. <laughs> <laughs> and he would not care at all. He would right. not care. And he would do it in such a gentle and peaceful and humble way that you may end up just getting converted. Right? Yeah, yeah, finally. <laughs> but surely, I mean, he's locked up and his doctrine of God's sovereignty is so strong mm -hmm. that he doesn't view it as in any way yeah. hindering his purpose. Yeah, he's just seeing, okay, this is the providential thing the Lord has allowed, so therefore, here's my purpose now in, wow. this, in this section. That's uh, it. Let's just meditate on that for a minute. Yeah. Like, listener, do you think of your life that way? Mm -hmm. Like, you're stuck in traffic. Yeah. What do we do, right? Mm -hmm. or we start we start getting frustrated. We start getting anxious. We start yeah. getting, you know, or do we just take a moment to thank God for the day? Do we take do we take a moment to start praying for someone that God puts on our heart? Mm -hmm. Like every moment of every day has been sovereignly ordained and orchestrated by God the Father from before the foundation of the yeah. world. I mean, we're not we're not puppets on strings, mm -hmm. right? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that God has already ordained all the circumstances that will ever yeah. happen in your life. How are we going to respond to them? Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm reminded of that excerpt you sent to me uh, from Dr. Steve Lawson in mm -hmm. his sermon mm -hmm. where he's talking about that idea of being a victim. And he was speaking about Genesis 50, well, that yeah, section Joseph of story. Joseph's story. Mm -hmm. And Joseph at all points never saw himself as a victim, mm -mm. even when his brothers sold him into slavery, sold him into slavery or when he's wrongly accused with Potiphar's wife, when he's put in jail and forgotten, when he's mm -hmm. at every point, but at the end of his life, when he's speaking to his brothers, he, he has that statement where it's like, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. And he's never saw himself as a victim. But we live in such a day and time in a culture now that everyone's a victim of everything. Yeah. If you're not getting ahead in life, you're a victim. If you're not if you if you're if you're not a cheery person, it's because my mom and dad were a certain way. Or mm -hmm. if I struggle with something, it's because of my upbringing or circumstance. Or we're always playing the victim. Yeah. And you are not a victim. Your, everything has been given and ordained by the Lord for one purpose. That's, that's to bring you to him, to sanctify you in him. That is it. Mm -hmm. And to bring others to him. Mm -hmm. And so Paul recognizes that when he's sitting here in this moment. Listen, I'm, I'm among the imperial guard. Yeah. I have this opportunity to now proclaim the gospel among the leadership in Rome. Mm -hmm. So... Praise God. Yeah. That's exactly where God wants me right now. Yeah. What what you meant for evil, you all put me in jail. Right. 
God's using for good. Right. <laughs> and we think about even just kind of Paul's like goal in the mm-hmm. book of Acts, right? He wants to take the gospel to Rome, mm-hmm. right? Now, th- there are there is some debate as to where he is when he wrote right. this, right? Uh, but if he is in the presence of Caesar's guard, yeah. right? Well, man, maybe he's even thinking, man, what if one of these, what if one of these prisoners, or I'm sorry, what if one of these soldiers mm-hmm. like gets converted and ends up getting the gospel to Caesar, right? right? Like right. think about the impact that that'll have on the world, mm-hmm. right? So Paul had a strong view of the sovereignty of God and it caused him to be able to rejoice no yeah. matter what, which is one of the key words in this book, rejoice, right? And he did it in such a way that it was genuine. Yeah. And I wanna say to you, listener, that the only way you can have genuine joy is if you have a correct view of the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Is if you truly do, like Jesus did, rely on the Father in all things, mm-hmm. regardless of how dark your situation may actually get. Yeah, like you may have actually been wronged at the hands of somebody else yeah. in brutal ways, and and we want to just acknowledge that that Absolutely. does happen, but. And that that there's sorrow attached to that. Absolutely. So so don't hear me wrong saying you should just walk around being like I'm so grateful I got raped. That's not what I'm saying. Right. There's sorrow, and absolutely the Lord, He comforts us in our sorrows and He's with us mm-hmm. in our trials. Right. But it's still part of your story. That's right. It's part of your story, and God's goodness and mercy and grace that's being dispensed on you and towards you. Man, that right there is a gift in and of itself mm-hmm. because not everybody gets that, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody gets that. God has not obligated himself to give everybody mercy, right? Mm-hmm. He says expressly, I will give mercy to whom I will give mercy mm-hmm. and I will give compassion to whom I will give compassion. And so it does not depend on the person who wills and who puts in tremendous amounts of effort, but it depends on God who has mercy. Yeah. And I wanna just remind the listener again of the story of Job before we move on. Yeah. Because Job suffered perhaps more than any other person besides the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Yeah. I mean, if you read Job's story, the guy got hammered. He got destroyed by Satan, right? Yeah. But God was the one who put Job forward for Satan to even consider. Yeah. And at the end of Job's life, I'm sorry, at the <coughs> end of Job's suffering, not the end of his life, he finally has a revelation of God. And God does never. He, God never gives him the answer to why he suffered. Mm-hmm. Doesn't once give him the answer. What he gives him is seventy rhetorical questions that are constructed in such a way for Job to realize the greatness and glory of God. Yeah. And what Job says is, "I have heard about you with the hearing of the ear, mm-hmm. but now my eyes see you, yeah. and I repent in dust and ashes." What was the gift there? It was that Job got a clear vision of who God actually was. Yeah. And that is the gift. And he 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 now had a, the eternal perspective, which is what Paul has in all this. Mm-hmm. That's why Paul says all this, is because this life will end at some point for all. But what doesn't end is God's eternity, an eternal yeah. glory with him. And so that's the gain. That's where, where Paul's talking about, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Yeah. I know that what's beyond this life is going to be so much better for me. Yeah. But why do I stay? For you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Hey, everyone. It's Mike here. If you enjoy listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, then we'd ask you to consider becoming a builder. What is a builder? A builder is a monthly donor someone who believes in what the Lord is doing through the ministry of the Nehemiah Project. 
And one of the many things that we do is this podcast. Our goal with the podcast is to educate people on what the Bible actually says and to encourage people to carry out the truth in their lives. And so we need the monthly donations from our builders in order to continue this ministry. So if you want to keep hearing these podcasts, we'd encourage you head on over to tnproject.org slash donate and become a builder today. And that's a good segue into Paul's next section here mm-hmm. in verse 14. I want to bring this up because he says something that is very revealing about how he thinks. Okay, Paul doesn't think as an individual, right? He thinks as of himself as an individual that exists within a group of other individuals, yeah. the church. Yeah. And here's what he says in verse 14, that most of the brothers, okay, I'll stop there. He's in prison. He could be woe as me, moping around, waiting to get released, mm-hmm. but he isn't thinking that way. Mm-hmm. He's thinking about how most of his brothers in Christ now, because of his situation, have become confident in the Lord. And now they have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Mm-hmm. You see, Paul's mindset that is being uh, put on display for us here is actually serving to encourage the brothers to not fear prison. They're going to they're gonna hide in a room just like the, the apostles or the disciples did after Jesus was crucified. They hid yeah. until they got the deposit of the Holy Spirit, and then they went out and started proclaiming because mm-hmm. they were filled with that boldness. Well, Paul's people are seeing their pastor in prison, and the dude's converting all the prison guard. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's being fruitful, yeah. right? He's still executing the Great Commission. <clears throat> and so right. they are being greatly encouraged by the example of their pastor. Yeah. This all stems out of Paul's view of God. Now, in verses 15 through 17, we get uh, two categories of people here. And it has to do with your motivation here, right? Or their motivation. Here's what verses 15 and 17 say. He says, some, referring back to the brothers, Mm -hmm. right? That's how we know he's talking about Christians. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some of the brothers preach Christ from goodwill. Yeah. So we see that division there. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about those two words, envy and strife. Envy in the Greek literally means a grudge or to spite someone. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're preaching now because their preacher is no longer there, and they're doing it because, number one, they envy Paul, Right, mm-hmm. they want to be the boss. They want to be the guy, and they want to spite Paul. Mm-hmm. It's like they're kicking him when he's down. Right, right. And there's an example of this type of person in the Book of Acts. Let's turn to Acts chapter eight really quick. Acts chapter eight, looking at verses five <laughs> through thirteen. Now the evangelist Philip, he goes down to Samaria, says in verse five, and he begins to preach Christ to the Samaritans. And in verse 6, it says, The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was being said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs that he was doing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. And now there was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astounding the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. (laughs) And they all, from the smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention 
because he had for a long time astounded them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they began to be baptized, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly astounded. So here's a man, right, who was claiming to be someone great. Now, what does the Bible say about pride? Pride comes before the fall, right? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, Mm -hmm. right? So here comes this other dude, Philip. He rolls up into Samaria where Simon's been enjoying a a nice place amongst the people. Mm -hmm. And Philip probably doesn't look like much, right? Doesn't Mm -hmm. have these flashy clothes on, right? Isn't flaunting money. He's coming around here and preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And he's doing it with power, with a power that is greater than the magic that Simon has been exercising. Mm -hmm. Reminds me of Exodus story with the uh, magicians of Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, Simon sees his crowd start to dwindle and Philip's crowd start to grow. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, I don't like this, but man, he's doing some pretty amazing stuff. Let me see if I can get that. And so we know based on... uh, the later verses in that section, specifically here, verses 18 through and following, we know that Simon's belief was superficial. And what Mm -hmm. he was really desiring was the spotlight. Here's what it says in verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit had been bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, the Apostle Peter just smashes the dude, (laughs) right? And tells him to repent, right? And so there's an example of what likely Paul's dealing with to a degree. Simon was someone who wanted the power. He wanted the authority. He wanted the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And so he was willing to kind of bide his time, just kind of wait around, be close to the action until he could finally assert himself. And the reality is we... We see that all around us today, too. <coughs> mm-hmm. There's many preachers, pastors, people in ministry that are there for personal gain, for the spotlight, for um, being the leader among people, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. And the Bible warns against that a lot. Yes. And we have to be very careful because um, it'll compromise the truth when we want it for ourselves. That's right. That's right. Now, the other category of the brothers here, those are the ones who preach out of goodwill. And Paul says in verse 16 that those ones, they do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So they're preaching. They're stepping up to the plate because you you have a congregation of people here, Mm -hmm. right? Who's going to lead this flock, right? So these guys are stepping up to the plate for two reasons. The the text tells us that they loved Paul and they knew that their pastor was in was in chains yeah. because of his faithfulness to the gospel. So they stepped they stepped up to the plate, started to preach Christ. Yeah. And the other reason is because they were very likely qualified to do so. Mm-hmm. Paul surely had taught these men, sure, right? Because because look, he's speaking to in verse one the overseers and the deacons, mm-hmm. right? These guys were probably deacons or pastors, elders, right? And these ones had pure motives, right? We're talking about motivation today. And that's really all of the information we get about them. But in verse 17, we get more information about those who are preaching out of envy and strife. Verse 17 says, The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. In Greek, that literally is the Greek word that is used for people who are mercenaries. These are ones who do work 
and they get paid for their work, right? Yeah. They are they are workers for hire. Right. So, what is their motivation? They want money. Just like Simon, he wanted power, authority, money, right? So we get more characteristics of people who may actually preach the true gospel message, mm-hmm. but they have the wrong motives. Yeah. Now, we, you said we see this all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what I, what I want to stop and make an, an observation and a statement about is that it's very likely that these people who were preaching Christ out of selfish ambition were genuinely preaching Christ. Yeah. I mean, Paul refers to them as brothers. He doesn't call them false teachers, yeah. right? They were preaching the real gospel message, mm-hmm. but their hearts were wrong. Yeah. Now, the question or the observation I want to make is that does God still use people with wrong motives to proclaim his glory in his gospel kingdom? Oh, absolutely. Yep, the answer is yes. Yeah. But should we take this as a sign? That it's okay to do that. It's okay to do that. <laughs> no. No. no <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. God can use a, a donkey to get right. his message across if he wants to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know the story of Balaam in Numbers. Mm-hmm. So the reason why we wanted to stop and make a, a comment about that is because ultimately God's kingdom is advanced because of God, right? And he can even use people who aren't faithful in their hearts towards him to still advance his gospel kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. His kingdom. Yeah. And so we wanted to make sure that we, we took a moment to point out that, that difference there. Yeah. Now, in verses 18 through 20, I love this. Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, mm-hmm. referring to those who do it out of selfish ambition, or in truth, right. Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I will rejoice. So we see Paul's pure motives here. Mm-hmm. Paul doesn't care if he's the spotlight. Right. Paul doesn't care if he's the one getting all the recognition. What does he care about, Chad? He cares about the proclamation of the gospel That's and advancement of God's about. kingdom. That's it. That's it. And we can see his assurance then in verses 19 and 20. He says, for I know that this, the situation, will turn out for my deliverance or my salvation, some translations say, Mm -hmm. through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about prayer for a little bit. Paul, it wasn't so much that he believed in prayer as much as that he believed in the God to whom we pray. Yeah. Right? Right. We have to make that distinction. Right. It's not the act of prayer that accomplishes it, mm-hmm. right? God mm-hmm. calls us to pray, but at the very same time, I can pray and nothing happened. Right. Right? Absolutely. He believes that God has more for him to do, mm-hmm. right? That's what he says in the next couple of verses. And then he also says the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. What what could that possibly refer to, Chad? Well, I think um, in, in many of these translations, the Holy Spirit is mm-hmm. where what he's really speaking of, right? The mm-hmm. Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We look in John 14, Jesus talks about the helper that he's going to send. Acts 2, we saw the Spirit really mm-hmm. come on um, after Christ's ascension. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who helps, who regenerates, opens our eyes to the truth, sanctifies us in the truth, convicts our hearts about the truth, helps us, helps our consciences um, agree with the word of God mm-hmm. and be sensitive to what the word of God says. And so I think in all those, those ways, um, that's what mm-hmm. Paul is speaking about here through the spirit of Christ. Yeah. We see all throughout the book of acts as well, that, um, when the grace of God is dispensed through the preaching of the word, that the Holy spirit is active in applying that grace to people's hearts, mm-hmm. you know? 
And so in, in this particular context here, with, with it being in the context of um, asking the brothers and sisters to continue to pray for his deliverance from mm-hmm. prison, um, although he's very fruitful in it, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be there. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good mindset to have, right? Like yeah. like Joseph, right? Yeah. Like Joseph said to the cup baker and... Uh, and, hey, can, and you, the, can you let him know I'm in here? Yeah, the cup bearer and the baker, yeah. When you go see Pharaoh, let him know I'm in here. I'm yeah. not supposed to be here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's there for two more years. Yeah, right. They forgot um, about me. <laughs> yeah, so it's okay to pray to be asked to to be let out of prison. <laughs> yeah, but um, but we know that the Spirit of God works through prayer. We know that the Spirit of God dispenses grace as He sees fit, so that we can endure patiently, right? Mm-hmm. So that we can so that we can actually have long suffering. Yeah, and so I think that's probably what He's getting at here, is in that patient waiting and uh, the expectation of His deliverance. It's going to take the grace of God to be faithful in circumstances that would cause our flesh to really not want to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And let's we'll skip over here to verses twenty one through twenty six because in verse twenty he goes on to just talk about how he's he, he is has this earnest expectation and hope mm-hmm. that even in these dire circumstances, whether he even dies, Christ is going to be magnified yeah. in his body. Yeah. And then he comes with this climactic statement: "For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain." This is what it means to live for Paul. That's right. Christ is his life. Yeah, Christ is the one that we um, point to, we trust, mm-hmm. we put our hope in. That's the only hope we have. I mean, there's only two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom where Christ rules and reigns, or there's the kingdom of the world that Satan has some authority over, and it leads to death. There's mm-hmm. only two places to be. So to have your hope in anything other than Christ would be to to trust in things of the world which means you're in the kingdom of the world Mm -hmm. and death is is the end death um being apart from god in this life as well as forever apart from him in a place called hell Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so that's why it's good that's why he says to live as christ like that is paul has his hope set on the proper place yes on the one who actually gives hope christ himself amen amen now Verse 21 sounds really good, and it probably makes like a great coffee mug, and it probably makes like a, a cute <laughs> yeah. little thing you can put up on your refrigerator. But what does it really mean, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is, let's take it out of like the, the realm of, you know, theological magnificence and yeah, like yeah, yeah. down into the, the daily dirt of life, right? Yeah. That's what verse 22 tells us, right? Mm-hmm. He says, but if I am to live on in the flesh, in other words, if I'm not to die, yeah. this will mean fruitful labor for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Christ is Paul's life. Therefore, Paul does what Christ does. Right. Now, Mark 10, 45, Jesus himself says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, mm-hmm. but to serve. Yeah. That's how Paul sees his life. Yeah, and in John 14, those who love me obey my commands. That's right. Right. He wants to be a faithful slave. He wants to be a faithful bride of Christ, mm-hmm. part of the bride of Christ. He wants to be a, a, a obedient yeah. son. To the Father. Yeah. And in that, there's a measure of suffering. Mm-hmm. That, that means giving up things of this world. It means denying yourself. It means getting really hard, awkward conversations. It means holding firm on the truth and people hating you for it. It means like, yeah. there's going to be a measure of suffering in that statement, a, a fruitful labor. It's fruitful because through those means, Christ saves people mm-hmm. and people come to know him. But there will be some that he won't save and some may hate you in that process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hence, yeah. hence why Paul ended up in jail in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. He's in prison for the gospel. <laughs> right. But in verse 29, he even mentions that suffering. He says, um, for to you, speaking to the church there, uh, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe uh, in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 
So, yes, what you said, Chad, is mm-hmm. the reality, right? And what Paul means by saying to live as Christ and to die as gain, he means I'm going to live in con- perpetual service to God. Yeah. And so going on then in verse 23, I, I used to really interpret this very whack, in a very wacky way before I was yeah. uh, well taught in the scriptures. He says, but I am hard pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your reason for boasting may abound in Christ Jesus in me through my coming again to you. Mm. He's not deciding to continue living. Like I've heard some wacky interpretations of this, like, like as if Paul had the ability to just relinquish his spirit like Jesus did. You know what I mean? Like right. he didn't get a prophecy from the Lord saying that he was going to continue living. He just said, look, I am surrendered to whatever God wants. Yeah. But if, if he doesn't take my life now, then here's what it's going to look like. Yeah. Faithful service, uh, faithful pastoral ministry, regardless of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I, and, and it's so cool how he brings up in verse 25, he wants to see the progress of his people to grow up into mm-hmm. mature Christ, Christhood, right? Yeah. And so um, summing it all up then, Paul's life is in Christ and for him to live is Christ. And what that means, self-sacrificial service in the name of Christ. Yeah. Any final words, Chad, before we sign off today? No, I think that's good. Uh, this is the crux of the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what you're signing up for. And if you didn't recognize that or realize that, I really encourage you to contemplate that very thing. That when we sign up to be a Christian, Jesus makes it very clear in Luke 14, 25 through 32, the cost of discipleship, that we must love less everything else, including our own lives, other than Christ. And that's what Paul is uh, demonstrating here. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be holy. As in First Peter, as he says, as God is holy, like to be set apart. Mm-hmm. That's what we're called to, holiness. If there's no desire for that, I would really um, encourage you, as, as Philippians 2, to approach your salvation with fear and trembling mm-hmm. and really assess, is Christ worth it? Mm-hmm. And uh, because he is. Mm-hmm. And we want you to know that you're in him. Yes. But if those things don't exist in you, these desires that I'm talking about, it may mean that you don't know right. him. Yeah, we had the example of those who preach for selfish ambition, for selfish yeah. reasons, and those who did it out of love. That's right. Love for Christ and love for those who are in Christ. And we hope that would describe you. Well, we thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.